to the villages and buy food for themselves. But, Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves in here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And when they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over, And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Father, we ask that this morning You would speak to us through Your Word. That You would help us understand what is being taught here, why Matthew put this part right here. Soften our hearts and open our eyes to Your Word. For those who are weak and weary, would you bring them comfort this morning and hope? For those who have backslidden and strayed from you, would you bring them conviction and lead them back home? And for those whose hearts are hard and whose eyes are blind, would you show yourself to them this morning? We ask that your Spirit would do a mighty work in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In our passage this morning, we're seeing as John gets, or as Jesus gets wind of John the Baptist's beheading, his murder, he sails off to a desolate place with his disciples. He sails off to the wilderness, or or we could say he sails off to the country. He wants to be alone with his disciples. He wants to find a place to rest. But as he approaches this place, the crowds and the people caught wind of where Jesus was going, and hearing that he was healing the sick, they met him there, and as he approached and got off the boat, put his two feet on land, his heart is moved with compassion. And because of that, he heals the sick. And as dinner time comes, the disciples tell Jesus, send the crowds away so that way they can eat. Remember, they're in a desolate place. They're out in the country. So they tell him, Jesus, send them away so that way they can get back to the closest town and eat some food and find some lodging. But Jesus tells them, no, you feed them. Now I wish that I could have been a fly on the wall on how the disciples say that. And I'll say, I'll, I'll explain why in a little bit. I, wanted, I wish I could know their tone of voice and how they say, we don't have that food. We've got five loaves and two fish, is their response. And so Jesus then says, tell the crowds to sit down, give me the food. He looks up to The Father who is in heaven, He prays a blessing and He then just starts pulling pieces of bread off and handing it to the disciples. And the disciples then go and give it to the crowds and we see that the crowds then are satisfied. 
And the last verse here, verse 21, is, is kind of the punchline of this whole ordeal that there was 5,000 men, not including women and children. So probably upwards to 15,000 people. Jesus uses five loaves and two fish. He satisfies them. What we're seeing in this account is that Jesus sustains the people. Let me tell you a bit of an embarrassing story of myself, maybe to illustrate this as we move forward. When I was a freshman in college, basketball season was coming up. And in college, I didn't realize that the way that they work out and prepare for the season is a little bit different than how high schoolers prepare to work out for the season. The workouts are a little bit harder. So in my freshman naivety, lunchtime comes, and there's a beautiful buffet before us. And what I see is chili, hot dogs, and cheese. And my mind immediately goes to, I can have chili cheese dog for lunch. Now as I'm getting the chili cheese dogs, I, I look over at some of the older players and they're making paninis. And I think to myself, what man makes a panini for lunch? I'm going to have chili cheese dogs. And so I have my chili cheese dogs. I then have some ice cream afterwards. 3.45 comes around and our athletic trainer tells us we're going to go for a run this morning. And so we go for a trail run about a mile and a half. And I'm doing good. And then, as soon as I think we're done and I've made it through, we stop at the sledding hill that was on the campus. This giant sledding hill. And he says, before we finish, we're going to run this ten times. And so I'm doing good, but I'm starting to feel the chili cheese dogs rumble in my stomach. Finally, we finish. And as our coach is talking, I lean over and everybody gets to see what I had for lunch. You know what I found out? Chili cheese dogs does not sustain you to run a mile and a half and ten hills. Chili cheese dogs is not good sustenance. It maybe satisfied me in the short term, but in the long term of going through the affliction of running a mile and a half and running up a hill ten times, my body ended up rejecting what was supposed to sustain me. And I think we live in a world where we all are looking and longing to be sustained. Are we not? We look to money and material things to sustain us and bring us pleasure only to realize that we can't take money with us and a new iPhone comes out every other 
year. We want more. We look to good vibes and good thoughts to get us through hard times. We think if I just had another sexual partner, that would satisfy me. Money comes and goes and a sexual appetite tends to fade. And depending on your spirituality and what you are looking to sustain you, over time, if it's the wrong thing, you become bored. And normally, the phrase, it just didn't work for me, tends to follow. I'm glad it works for you, but it doesn't work for me. And in our passage this morning, what we are seeing so clearly is that Jesus sustains us. From beginning to end, Jesus sustains us. From beginning to end, Christ is sufficient. He is enough for us. And we're going to see this in three, three ways this morning. That Jesus heals us. That Jesus teaches us and Jesus feeds us. So, three ways. Point one, Jesus heals us. It's verses 13 through 14. Our second point, Jesus teaches us. Verses 15 through 17. And our third point, Jesus feeds us. Verses 18 through 21. So let's look at this first point, Jesus heals us. In verses 13 through 14. Now, when Jesus heard this, He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by Himself. We need a little bit of context to understand why Jesus is withdrawing. Last week, what we saw and what comes at the beginning of chapter 14 of Matthew is the beheading of John the Baptist. John was the one who prepared the way for Jesus who proclaimed, repent now and be baptized. He proclaimed that Jesus was the one whom sandals He wasn't worthy to untie. He pointed to the spotless Lamb of God. John was the forerunner whose end was met with being beheaded. And Jesus, feeling sorrowful, wants to get away. He wants to find rest. He wants to find an, a wilderness, a, a, a countryside where nobody will be. It's like the, the mom who has their kids constantly asking them for things. And she just wants a peace of mind, and so she hides herself in the closet. Jesus is looking for rest. He's looking to be alone with His Father. He's looking for that peace of mind. But the people get wind of where Jesus is going. 
Because when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. As Jesus is going to a desolate place, as he's going to a countryside, the people catch wind. They hear how he is healing the sick. And so the sick make a journey to a wilderness. They make this journey to find Jesus, to be healed by him. They count the cost. They think to themselves, if I just can get to Jesus, even if it is out in the wilderness where there is no comforts of towns or food or water, if I can just get to Him, then I will be healed. And so, they count the cost and go to this countryside place to find Jesus. And when Jesus gets ashore, our passage says, He saw a great crowd. Now we already know that this great crowd is about 5,000 plus people. And what happens when Jesus sees this crowd? Does Jesus sigh and roll His eyes thinking seriously? You're, you're, you're coming to me again? Can't I just get a little bit of rest? Can't you just leave me alone? Does Jesus look at them and say, seriously, more people with more problems? No, what our passage tells us is He has compassion. Jesus is filled with pity, or Jesus is filled with mercy. He looks at the crowds that are coming to Him, and His first inclination is to have mercy on them. I don't know why you're here this morning. I don't know what state you're in. Possibly you're being assaulted by Satan with condemnation. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I've sinned that sin again. I'm no good. And yet our Savior has compassion and mercy on those who come to Him. And Jesus heals them. 5,000 plus people. His mercy leads Him to heal them. Are you here this morning looking to be sustained by Jesus? Are you here this morning looking for healing? We already know as we've been reading through the Gospel according to Matthew that Jesus has already proclaimed it's not the healthy who need the doctor, it's the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. Are you here this morning with a sin-sick soul looking for 
healing. Looking for rest. Does Jesus not tell us to come to him? Have the crowds not obeyed the words of Jesus as he has already told them, Come to me, all who labor, who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest? Can we not see that what we need is rest for our souls? And yet, far too often, we look for moral band aids to heal us. This is one of man's greatest problems. In our sin, we look to our own morality to heal us. We look for causes to join to make us feel more self-righteous and superior. The, the church gets into a bad habit of sitting on a throne of moral superiority looking down. We quickly gossip and slander other people to build up our own moral character. How quick do we look for moral band-aids to heal us when Jesus is right here saying, come to me and I will heal you. This is what Jesus does. This is how Jesus sustains us. This is why Christ is sufficient, because Christ is able to save us. He is able to cleanse the sin-sick soul. He is able to bring the healing that we need. Our sin is a poison, and Jesus is the remedy. And so you may be asking, how do I receive this remedy? What must I do to take this remedy? Trust in the Lord. Trust in Jesus. Trust that His sacrifice was sufficient. That it was enough. That His sacrifice for your sins is enough to cleanse your heart. To make you righteous in God's sight. This is what we need. And this is how Jesus sustains us. He sustains us by healing our sin-sick souls. And it is only Christ who is able to do so. He's not come to call the, the morally superior, the morally righteous. He's come to call the sinner. And so we see the first way that Jesus sustains us. He sustains us by healing our sin, by making us right with God, by bringing us peace with God. But the second way is that He teaches us. Jesus sustains us by teaching us. As we, we look now to our second point in verses 15 through 17, we see Jesus teaching the disciples. Disciples weren't high and mighty men. God used them greatly, yes. Should we respect them? Of course. But as Paul is constantly saying, he's not some type of super apostle. These men were men who needed to be trained by God. They were trained by Jesus. They had faults, and we see some of their faults right here. What are they? 
Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. It's barren. It's wilderness. Jesus, it's a countryside. There's nothing here for the people. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away into the villages and buy food for themselves. It might look like that the disciples are doing a good thing. Let's send them on their way before it's too late. Jesus, you've been healing people for so long. Let me give you some rest. But the interaction between Jesus and his disciples shows something different in the disciples' hearts. As Jesus says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Jesus is aware of what the disciples have to eat. So why is he asking this question? Because he's drawing out their hearts. The disciples were men. The disciples were people who got tired. We're told in other places that the disciples had just come back from being sent out. They were tired. They were showing little compassion towards the crowds is what was happening. And Jesus is drawing out their hearts. As Jesus pulls up and Jesus is exhausted, he's looking for rest, he's moved to mercy and to serve the crowds. But the disciples are moved to send them away. They show little compassion towards the crowds. And so, because these are Jesus' disciples, and Jesus is going to ascend and leave the disciples at one point, He's teaching them something. He's teaching the disciples how to feed the flock with mercy. Through their mercy, the disciples' mercy, they are to feed the flock. They are to feed the sheep. And they are to do so with mercy. And so the first thing we see is that they lack mercy. They lack compassion on the crowds. They would rather send them away than to feed them. But the logical thing that then you may say to me is, but we know how much food they had. Jesus knows how much food they had. And so what are we seeing then? Well, I said that there were two things that Jesus is drawing out of their heart. And here's the second. They say to Jesus, we have only five loaves and two fish. And the five loaves and two fish they have aren't even theirs. This is where I wish I would have been a fly on the wall. What's the response of the disciples? Do they think Jesus is just bantering back and forth with them? And their response is is one of, of kind of chuckling to themselves, Jesus, we only have five loaves and two fish. Is it one of being tired and annoyed? How could Jesus ask us to feed them? We only have five loaves and two fish, Jesus. Is it one of shock? (laughs) Jesus. We only have five loaves and two fish. What is Jesus drawing out of their hearts here? 
I think it's very plainly in the text for us. What had Jesus been doing all day? Jesus had been healing all those who were sick. And instead of the disciples in faith asking Jesus for help, they have little faith thinking that somehow they have to accomplish this task by themselves. Don't we far too often get into the habit of saying what the disciples say right here? What, is, what are the disciples saying right here? They're saying, Jesus, we don't have enough. Don't we far too often say the same thing when God is calling us to disciple people? Jesus, I don't have enough knowledge of the Scriptures to pour myself into somebody else. Don't we say this about evangelism too? Jesus, I don't know what that person may say back to me. I don't know enough. Jesus, I don't have enough financial resources to serve this person. And yet, what the disciples are teaching them and what He is drawing out of their hearts is that most of the time, we make excuses to not serve those who need our love and service because we don't have the right mercy towards them. Oftentimes, our heart is cold and dull to love our neighbor as we should. Oftentimes, we are quick to want to send away those who need compassion and mercy instead of actually having compassion and mercy on them. And the excuse that we use is we don't have enough, which draws out the second sinful aspect in our heart is that we don't trust that then Christ can sustain us to serve them. We don't have the faith that Christ is sufficient for their needs. For our needs. But haven't we seen that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed? That it starts out small. And as it grows, it grows into something big and beautiful and a, a place for the birds to take refuge on. Jesus had been teaching how He uses insignificant, what looks to be insignificant things to accomplish His purposes. Friends, don't sell yourselves short. God will give you what you need when you need it. Do not use that you don't have enough as an excuse for a lack of compassion of serving somebody. Scripture is very clear and tells us that we do not have because we do not ask. So what must we do here then? First, we must repent. 
We must ask for forgiveness for the lack of mercy that we have towards others. And then we must ask for forgiveness for the lack of faith, that, of trusting that God can multiply what He needs to multiply for the sake of His glory. God will use you and will give you what you need when you need it. Why? Because He sustains us. Jesus is teaching the disciples this very truth. He will sustain them with what they need to accomplish this task. And this is why we can't make this passage about us and tragically, far too often, how this message is preached is it's simply left here. God will use you to multiply. God will use you to do these great things. And yet, this isn't the point of the passage, isn't it? The point of the passage is that Christ will be glorified. The point of the passage is that Christ is sufficient. And so, we must continue to read on and see what happens. We come to our third point that Jesus feeds us. He sustains the crowds by feeding them. We see this in verses 18 through 21. And He said, Bring them here to Me. The five loaves and the two fish. And then He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. John helps us see a bigger picture of this. Jesus had the disciples go around and organize the 5,000 plus people into groups of 50. The crowd here plays a very passive role. Haven't you seen this? The crowd is playing a passive role in this story. They come and they're healed by Jesus. They're told to sit down and do nothing, but sit and receive from Jesus. And so Jesus takes the loaves and He prays a blessing to His Father. And then He breaks the loaves. And He gives them to the disciples. And then, the disciples gave them to the crowds. He's teaching the disciples how to feed the sheep. He's teaching the disciples to rely on Him and to show them that He will sustain them to feed the sheep. Here it is. What God has done to you, He wants to do through you. And we see as the disciples are passing out the bread to these groups of 50. And Jesus continues to break off piece after piece after piece after piece. I would have loved to hear that too. Yeah, Jesus has uh, just fed about a thousand people and He's still on the first loaf. As He's passing it out to the disciples and the disciples are giving it, what does our text tell us? It says that all Let's not rush over that word, all. Every single person that was present there in that countryside desolate place was satisfied. 
as if they had just gotten done eating a feast at their home. They were satisfied. Their bellies were full. Not one person, not one person said, do we have anything else? Do we have anything left? I'm still a little bit hungry. Can I have some more? Not one person said that. They were all satisfied. And not only were they satisfied, but then there were 12 baskets left over. Does this remind you of any other scene in the Bible? Let me give you a hint. It's happened in the Old Testament. Do you remember Moses? Moses who led the people out of Egypt. Where? Into the wilderness. A desolate place. A countryside. A place where they could not go back or go anywhere to get food, but they had to rely on Moses' prayer to God and God sending down manna. Here's the, the picture that we're seeing here. is that Jesus is not just some prophet. He is the greater prophet than Moses. He's the greater prophet than Moses because Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the King. And as the people come to a desolate place, they receive from Him bread. They receive from Him satisfaction and sustenance. Jesus is not just a mere prophet. He is the Son of God, the King of kings. This is what we're seeing here. This is why Jesus sustains us. It's because He's not a prophet like Moses. He's the prophet that Moses said, one greater than I would come. He's the prophet who would take away the sins of the world. He is the great and good prophet that we need who sustains us and satisfies us. But isn't it true that far too often in our attempts to look for sustenance, to look to be sustained, to look for satisfaction, Christ at times is the last person we run to. When trials of various kinds come, where is it that you look to? When you're faced with seasons of affliction, when your marriage is in turmoil, what do you look for to sustain you? Do you look for distractions? Do you look for 
posts on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook? Do you look for political parties to invest all of your time and attention and effort into? Do you look for alcohol? Christ will sustain you. Jesus will satisfy you. How do I know that this is true? I know this is true because of what He tells us in John. John gives us a fuller picture of what takes place here. As Jesus feeds the people, the people want to make Him king. They want to make Him some type of earthly king. And so He runs. He sails away. And the people look for Him. And when they find Him, He has a conversation with them. And He tells them something so much more important than just receiving food for their bellies. He tells them that I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life that will sustain you. Jesus is the bread of life that you need to feast from to be sustained through any affliction or storm, any turmoil. Jesus will sustain you. How do I know that? Because it's been true in my life. And I look out and I see some of you and I know it's been true in your life. That Jesus sustains us. So here's one last question and one last encouragement. Where do you look to be sustained in this life? Where do you look? To temporal things? Things that have an expiration date? Or to Christ, who is eternal, who will not fade, who does not expire? but is from everlasting and to everlasting. I don't know about you, but Jesus sounds better. Let's pray. Father, we thank You We thank You for sending Your Son Jesus to sustain us. We thank You that it is only through Christ and Christ alone that we can have peace with You. And we thank You that Christ is sufficient to get us through any of life's storms. We pray this in Your Son Jesus' name. Amen.